Ephesians, um, mostly um, at the end of chapter 3 and beginning of chapter 4. And so if you have your Bibles with you and want to turn there, you have your app on your phone. If you're on your phone, I'm, I'm just assuming you're on your Bible app and not reading other things or checking your Facebook or whatever. But um, that's where we'll be this morning. And we want to talk a little bit this morning about why we can give praise to God and um, how we can live in celebration and enjoy despite the fact that we live in a really difficult world. Um, and even just this weekend, you know, struck by that. Um, and I, and I want to, you know, talk about that just for, for a minute. You know, during the week we've been, it's been kind of a busy, you know, a little bit of a hectic week for a lot of people. But, um, you know, some of us have had the opportunity to be laying tile and, um, you know, having sore knees and, and backs, you know, but why are we doing that? You know, we're doing that to um, help start the school in, in Tanzania for girls. And why do we need to start the school for Tanz- in Tanzania for girls? Well, because they don't have a safe place to go to school. Um, you know, and, and when you think about that, you know, I'm sitting there, you know, we're laying the town. I'm thinking, you know, we shouldn't have to do this. We shouldn't have to be working to raise this money to rescue these girls because these girls shouldn't need to be rescued. They should just be in a safe place where they can receive a, an education and have a, you know, a, a reasonably good life without other people having to step in to try to ensure that. It shouldn't be necessary. Yet it's desperately necessary. And, and when we look at our world, you know, sometimes I'll be honest with you, I have a hard time finding joy. You know, when we see just recently, you know, huge earthquake, um, you know, in Nepal, and you know, many people are dead, and you see people's lives are are devastated, and everything they have is gone. You know, how do I then take joy watching a basketball game or eating a good meal? How do I how do I take joy in those things, knowing that other people are around the world are, are suffering? And I'm kind of in the middle of that right now because I'm, I'm studying a good bit on um, globalization, the poor, and Christian mission. And, you know, I'm really focusing in on, you know, the bottom billion or so people on our planet and why they are in the state that they're in and why it's so hard to get out of that. Because we need to understand the forces at stake are often a lot bigger than individuals are, the forces at play against them. You know, we even look back in our own country and, you know, we had, you know, the terrible part of our history of, of slavery and then the repercussions of that. And, you, you know, you always had, you know, certain individuals. You had, a, you know, a person like, you know, George Washington Carver, um, who basically, you know, his story, I read his, you know, short biography on, um, on him. And, you know, it was written, a lot of it was just his own words, but his story is really amazing. If you don't know his story, I encourage you to, to dig into that and, and look into that. But, you know, he grew up on a plantation. And, um, you know, his father 
was on another farm and died in a, like a logging accident. So he had his mother and his, you know, brothers and sisters. And, you know, um, it was in the Kansas, Missouri, you know, area. And so, you know, th- there was a raid and his mom and, you know, other siblings were, and himself, were, you know, were taken. And, you know, the slave owner, um, as far as slave owners go, seemed to be a pretty, you know, good guy. And so he sent, you know, neighbors and like his best horse and everything to try to, you know, bring this guy back, to, to bring them back. Um, but they only found George Washington Carver because the people left him because he was sickly and didn't think he would survive anyway. So he never sees his mom and his sister again. Um, you know, he basically is just living in poverty for a period of time. He lives even underneath someone's porch. You know, he barely gets enough food, you know, to survive, but yet he, God gave him this incredible mind where he can figure things out. And he has this thirst and hunger. Somebody taught him to read by reading the, reading the Bible. And those translations back then weren't as easy as the ones we have today. <laughs> so he had to learn how to read through reading the Bible. And then is able to get an education and, and go to school. And, but his, if you read his biography and you read his own letters and his own words, his whole life is about giving God glory and realizing how good God is and how God had saved him. What Jesus had done you know, for him in his life. It's powerful. And you say, you know, there's always going to be those, those few individuals who, who do rise above and can find a way. But what about the rest? And so how do we find joy knowing that many of the rest won't make that, can't overcome that, can't overcome the system that they're in? And they didn't you know, choose to be in that system. You know, none of us decided where we would be born and what family we would be born into or what, what nation and what the geopolitical you know, status would be at that point in history or even what point in history we were born. No control over any of those things. And yet they're so impactful. So how do we find joy? Let's pray, and then I think we'll have our reasons to find joy this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your goodness to us, God. We thank you for your love for us. Lord, please fill us this morning with your love. We give thanks that your love is here and it's here for us now because you sent Jesus to go to the cross. To go and pay the debts that we couldn't pay. And so, Jesus, we thank you this morning that you died for us and that you rose from the dead and that all who believe in you, Jesus, have life in your name. And so as we celebrate that this morning and give you thanks, Lord, help us not to be stingy with all that you've given us, Lord, but to be generous people, willing to sacrifice, willing to share of everything that we have that's good in you. And Jesus, we know we can't do this on our own. We can't do this in our own strength and apart from you. So please help us to abide in you, Jesus. We ask you these things in your precious name. Amen. All right. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. And it's really interesting. Um, you know, it's, a, it's just a great book. Uh, 
And, and Paul is writing to this church at Ephesus. And this church at Ephesus, you know, has, it's like a mixed congregation of Jewish people and Gentile people. Um, so people of all sorts of different backgrounds and uh, different socioeconomic statuses and, um, you know, places in life. And then he says, you know, he talks about, you know, this plan that God has had to send Jesus to rescue us. Because even before God created everything, being omniscient and all-knowing, he would know that, you know, his, you know, giving us free will, humans were going to rebel against him. And yet, he still wanted to create us anyway and had a plan of redemption for us. And so, he's always planned for Jesus to be our Savior. Um, so, verse 8 of chapter 2, he says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, and whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. So he starts in verse 8. He says, To me who am the least of all the saints. Um, And that's really an important phrase there, because first of all, we have, you know, Paul who used to persecute the church. His goal in life, before he was converted, before coming to meet Christ, his goal in life was to destroy the church, to destroy the way of Jesus. That was his explicit desire and mission. He says, so he says he's the least of all the saints. Now, what is a, what is a saint? What is a saint? You know, that term gets thrown around. In our world today, oh, oh, this person's a saint, or St. Patrick, or St. Gregory, or something like that. But biblically speaking, what really is a saint? A saint is someone who has believed in Jesus, someone who is set apart um, then from the world, who is one of God's own children. A saved person, a person who was lost, who has been found, is a saint. It's really that simple. He says grace was given to him. You know, he knows he didn't deserve that grace because he was fighting, actively fighting against God. But that he should preach among the Gentiles, that's, you know, everyone who's not Jewish, among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Basically, last, you know, last week we ended in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and Paul has this phrase there talking about, you know, this indescribable gift. And we know Jesus is that indescribable gift, and, and you know, his riches that come with him are unsearchable, which that basically means is, yes, you can have Christ, and you can know Christ, and you can understand a certain amount, and you can enjoy a certain amount, but he's so vast and so great and so huge because he is God that we are limited in our understanding. And we can never, we're never fully, you know, in, at least here on this earth, going to grasp how wonderful Christ is. But perhaps when we see him face to face, we'll truly have the fullness. But now we want just more to be more full. Knowing that you can search your whole life and keep finding more of the riches. 
And so he says he, he wants to make known what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. And so we see before Christ, the, in the Old Testament, those who believed in God, they had you know, this picture of the Messiah coming, but they couldn't understand everything. There were parts that were hidden from them. And now there's parts that we that was, were hidden from them that we now fully see in Jesus Christ. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And what does that mean? What do we, what do, we do with that? First, we have to have a correct understanding of the church. You know, the church is, you know, the people of God. All those who believe in Jesus Christ. It's a church, the church is not um, any building or any collection of buildings. It's not an institution or an organization. It's more of an organism. It's a living body. It's the people of God. The people of God are the body of Christ. And so we who are believers are the people of God. And one of the things that we do, since we know the wisdom of God, we make known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We get this special insight that even, you know, those who are the, the spiritual realm, um, things that are not earthly, desire to understand, and the church makes those things known. I think God cares about his church and has a purpose for his church. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, and whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. If you have Jesus, you can go to God with confidence. Why? Because Jesus is our mediator, he's our great high priest, he's our go between the Father and us. But Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So, you know, we, we have access through him, but because Jesus is God, we have access. We have boldness. Those of us who are followers of Jesus can go to God with boldness and make our requests known to him. Now again, all sorts of these things get abused um, popular all over this world, um, from L.A. to Nairobi, this prosperity gospel that if you just have enough faith and if you just ask whatever you want to ask, you know, God's going to bless you. God's going to give you the material, you know, it's all about the material, you know, blessings. You know, if God blesses you with some material blessings, praise the Lord, he's given you something to be a steward over. You know, it's something to share with other people. But that's not what we're primarily to use our boldness and our access for. You know, what we want to see is the move of God. We want to see God's realm expanded, you know, on this earth to where, you know, as Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because when we're here on this earth, we see a lot of things that aren't according to God's will to, towards God's way. Again, if things were according to God's way, we wouldn't need to be building a school for girls in Tanzania. Because those girls wouldn't be being abused. 
So we want to see things on earth as they are in heaven. And so that's what we pray towards and that's what we work towards. And we understand, though, that all of this has to be wrapped up and the full force of it is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's the eternal purpose. You know, that's, that he, he is you know, the, the vehicle of the mission ultimately. And as the church, we're the vehicle as well, but that's because he's made us that. But we're the vehicle to take him into the world. But he is, he is the, the vehicle of salvation itself and of change. And so we can go to him, we can go to the Father because we have faith in Jesus and we can go with boldness and we can go knowing that we have access and we can ask God for stuff of eternal value. We can ask God for these eternal things. So I pray that our prayers are not limited just to you know, temporal things and things that are just about us and our lives, but that our prayers grow and expand to be about the things that God is about. And yes, God cares about your life. Of course he does. He knows every number of hair on your head, however many or how few. He knows all these things. Of course he cares about your life. You don't have to worry about God not caring about your life. But the thing about... Your life that's best is if you stop worrying about it and let God worry about it. And just care more about, God, I want to follow you. I want to be obedient to you. I want what you want from my life. You know, that's what we need to be more concerned with. That's what we need to be more concerned with. And then he says this, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So listen to to Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. And by extension, his prayer for us as well. Listen to this prayer that he has, and you can see how full and how deep his prayer is. And it gives us a model and an example. You know, we have to pray these exact same words, even, you know, the Lord's Prayer, when the disciple says, teach us, you know, how to pray. And Jesus gives them not a formula, but, you know, here's kind of a a template, you know, to use. Um, Even with that, you know, we're we're not bound just to use, you know, like these specific words or these specific prayers, but as the Lord works in our own heart and we can, you know, pray with our own understanding. But here's a, just a beautiful example of what it is to pray deeply and fully for others. Think about people in your life and praying 
praying for even, you know, this church, that these things would be accomplished in this church. Praying for the churches that we work with in Mexico, that this would be accomplished in those churches. The same in Tanzania, the same for many other places in the world as the Lord lays on your heart and as you, you know, we we live in such a, a time of, you know, global awareness and in some ways, it makes things really difficult. I think there's a burden that comes with it because we know of every, you know, if you want to, you can know not every bad thing that happens, but all, you know, many, many bad things every day, you can know. You know about this earthquake and this shipwreck and this problem here. And, you know, last year, um, and we'll probably get another wave of, you know, children fleeing from Central America and taking that ridiculously dangerous uh, trek through Mexico to try to make it to the United States. Right now, Libya, which, which is just a wreck, um, is this launching point for you know, human exploitation and for people trying to flee you know, Syria and Iraq, but also coming from other parts of the world and trying to get into you know, Europe. And so you have you know, these ships that are basically the equivalent of, you know, in some ways, or maybe not quite as bad, but oftentimes the results are as bad, uh, these ships where hundreds of people are just crowded onto them, body for body, stuck in the darkness for days, and you know, left to drift out, and the people who've already received their money don't care if that ship makes it to Italy or not. It's fine with them because they've already made a lot from it. And so you know, many people are, are dying in these places. And hope for a better life. But oftentimes they're going into places where the people there don't want them. And look at them just as another problem. You know, it's difficult for people to have no place in life. When as a people you're not wanted, and as an individual you're not wanted, that's difficult. And so... Again, we need to be people who are praying that the church would be different from the world and have a different attitude and different perspective on all these things. That God would grant us, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And that your inner person, you would be strong in your inner person, that you would be strong. Now, how would you be strong in your inner person? Through his spirit. You know, God has not designed us to where we just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and where, hey, I'm going to solve it. Jesus said to his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, it's very true, very literally, in the sense that if Jesus didn't exist, like, there wouldn't be oxygen. Let's just go ahead and get that clear. Like there, he's the one who holds the universe together. You know, you look under a mic, you know, microscope, they have these high power microscopes, and you see the atoms, the electrons, the protons, and all going around, and there's all this space in between. Well, who holds it all together? Jesus does. And if he ceases to exist, it's all gone. It's all gone. So, in that sense, everything, everything, even physical, water, air, everything, we have in Jesus, apart from him, we can't even live our physical lives. 
But really, the, what he's getting at there is we can't do anything of eternal value. We can't do anything that lasts, that's of real substance, apart from Jesus Christ. So we have to be strengthened by his spirit in the inner man. We have to be connected to him. And this is the problem for, for us who are followers of Jesus, who are not living victorious lives, who are not living lives that make a difference for Jesus. There's a, there's a reason for that. And the reason is simply a lack of connectedness to Jesus himself through the spirit to be strengthened in the inner person. If you want to know what the problem is, that's the problem. And if you want to know the solution to the problem, it's simple. It's time with Jesus. But we always want it to be something else. The reason we want it to be something else is because Jesus exposes us. It's because Jesus exposes every wrong thing in our hearts. He exposes every wrong thing about our way of thinking. And when we don't want to change anymore, when we want to be just who we are, then there's a necessary distance to have from the one who doesn't put up with that. Or who won't, you know, who will keep prodding and keep poking. But we need to be thankful because Jesus is so kind to us, he usually doesn't, I mean, every now and then, he rips us wide open. And just, you know, we need massive surgery on the table. But generally, Jesus is kind. He takes it as we can handle it. And he takes us step by step. But we need to, as followers of Jesus, we can't give him the stiff arm. We can't say, keep this far away. And we'll just keep living life. He's worthy of more than that. Because he is the one who went to the cross for our salvation. He's worthy of more than that. And he wants to strengthen us. That Christ, 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You know, Jesus doesn't just want to save us. He wants to dwell in us. And that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a prayer, what a desire. To be filled with all the fullness of knowledge, to, to go beyond what passes knowledge. And, you know, we want to be careful there because, you know, we're told to worship the Lord. And Jesus even said those who worship him will worship in spirit and in truth. And we don't just throw our brains out the window. Don't just throw understanding out the window. But you have to understand that having that connection, that deep-rooted connection and the love of God is more than just information. There are many people who know Everything, well, not everything, but you know what I'm saying. They know a tremendous amount about what the Bible says. Might not even be saved, but could quote you chapter and verse. It's not just about information. 
It's about transformation. About the Lord doing his work within us and filling us with all the fullness of God. God doesn't want us to live empty lives. He wants us to live lives that are full of the fullness of God and full of the love of God. Now verses 20 and 21 Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That nothing is beyond you know, God's like, limitations. God is powerful. He's able to do. But notice this, it says, according to the power that works in us, that God's normal method is to use his church to accomplish his purposes, to empower his church. And so the question is, are we willing to participate in that mission with him? Again, to do so, we have to be connected, we have to be filled, but are we willing to have God's power work through us to change other people's lives. Are we up for that? You know, one of my prayers when we talk about Islamic State or ISIS is that God would work powerfully and that some of those who are you know, actively looking just to destroy people like Paul was would be radically converted and become you know, his missionaries, willing even to die for the name of Jesus. We can pray that. We can pray that. Now, again, because God is all-powerful and because he's also all-knowing, I say, Lord, you know those who just ultimately will refuse you no matter what? Please stop them from doing their damage and from destroying people's lives. It's okay to have open-ended prayers with God and relying on his power and his wisdom and his knowledge. Knowing that there can be different options. But what's the heart? A heart needs to be the same that God's is because throughout the scriptures we see God being patient and giving people opportunity to repent. We see even his dealing with Israel in the Old Testament and his constant desire, you know, won't you repent and be saved, is basically the summary of his call. You know, why suffer? Why rebel? Why fight against me when you can turn and be saved? That's the short of it. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so when we see someone come to know Jesus and, and they, they believe in him and they're saved, as we're going to celebrate that this morning with going down to the river for baptism, that we, we don't glory in ourselves. We don't say, look what we did. Certainly not. But we glory in what Jesus has done what God has done, and we give God the glory, right? We give God the praise. Lord willing, when the school opens in Tanzania, 
we're not going to be there saying, or be here, or wherever, saying, look what we did. God forbid that. We say, look what the Lord did. To him be all the glory and all the praise. We're thankful for the privilege to have been given the opportunity to make sacrifices to participate in it. When we see a church, boom, start in Mexico in a day, we're going to take credit for that? Please. And we have seen that on more than one occasion. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. The glory is always his. It's never ours. And that's what's right. So I'm just going to read this a few verses in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and then two or three comments, we're done. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. So in light of God's plan, and in light of God's use of the church and and the prayer for the church to enjoy the fullness of God and to be filled with the strength, being filled with the Spirit, and that all the glory would go to Jesus and go to God for all generations. He then says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I beg you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. It's like, doesn't it make sense when you see God's plan, when you see the church um, as a vehicle for God's mission, when you see that we can be rooted and filled with the love of God, doesn't it make sense that you would desire to walk worthy of that calling? That you would desire to live your life in a way that pleases God? That you would have humility and gentleness? That you would be patient with one another? Knowing your own faults, you're going to be patient with other people's faults. And that you're going to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit it reminds us that there's one body and one spirit. As you were called in one hope of your calling, there, there aren't, you know, different Jesuses. There's one Jesus. You know, it's a shame when people try to make their own Jesus. They make their own Jesus that has no standard for anything. They make their own Jesus who makes a bunch of rules and regulations that aren't in the Scripture. Both are terrible, and there's lots of other ways to do it, too. But Jesus, according to who he is and how he is, there is one Jesus. And so, therefore, there's one faith, one true faith. There's one true baptism. And that baptism is being put into Jesus. That's what the word means in the Greek is to dip into or to put into So the most important baptism is your spiritual baptism, that you've been put into Christ, and therefore you've been put into the family of God. And that's done not by your good works or your best efforts or trying to be a good person, but it's through faith, believing in the grace of God, that Jesus died for your sins and that he rose from the dead. 
So the question we have for you this morning is, you know, we can put it to you this way, have you been baptized? Meaning, have you been put into the family of God? Not talking about the physical water. Talking spiritually, have you been put into Jesus Christ by grace through faith? And if you haven't this morning, what keeps you from receiving the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation? It's simple. You believe and you're saved. You're given a new life. Your sins are washed away. They've been paid for. When we go down to the river here in a little bit to baptize in the physical water, it's a picture. And it's showing the, the, you know, that, that physical uh, picture, that outward picture of the inward reality of what's already been done. We're not doing a new thing. We're celebrating what God has already done. And we're praising God for what he's already done in people's lives. And so we invite you to that. And we also invite you to be, to, to, if you haven't taken part in that picture yet and you know the Lord, or you come to know him even today, we invite you as well to make it publicly known to the world and we celebrate together and give God all the glory. Because God is above all, and through all, and in you all, and he can say that as he writes this to the church. That, you know, he's writing, his audience here is to those who know the Lord, and he can say that he's through you, and that he's in you. You know, he works through us, and he works in us, and that's a powerful thing, and it's beautiful. And we should look for that, and we should look for it in one another's lives and see you know, how is God working through, through you and in you? And we need to pray for those who are down and for those who are weak and for those who are having a hard time having their joy, for those who perhaps are giving Jesus the stiff arm and not even somewhat realizing what they're doing, but it's not giving him, you know, when we don't give him the time that we should. And there's a price to pay for that. And so let's pray for one another that everyone who is part of our church and so many more would be rooted and grounded, that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. Can we pray that for one another this week? Be encouraged? Because that's how we have joy, and that's how we celebrate in the midst of a broken world, in a midst in a world that has news for us every single day that is worth falling on your face and weeping. We need to get there. Sometimes, because the scripture tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep, right? So I hope, I pray that in this fullness of God, there are times when you do fall on your face and there isn't rejoicing, there's just weeping. There's just weeping for other people and weeping for people to know God who don't know God. I hope you have that in your life, that you're not cold and hard-hearted to those who don't know Jesus yet. And I hope you're also filled with the fullness of God that despite the brokenness and the terribleness of the world, that you have your joy in Christ and you can celebrate what he does in people's lives. And even today, man, if you can't get stoked about people being baptized and celebrating that these people went from death to life in Jesus Christ, then that means there's a cancer inside. And you need radical surgery 
by Jesus Christ. So, but again, he invites us. He invites those who don't have him yet to receive him. And he invites those of us who know him to be filled with him this morning. And as we take that bread, we have that bread and we have that cup there this morning. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you. You know, show me, before you take it, say, show me anything in my heart, Lord, that I need to confess, that needs to need to get rid of. Take it and say, Lord, fill me. As I take this that represents your body and your blood this morning, fill me with your spirit. Help me to be a person who's filled with you, even this week, so that my life and the lives of our the life of our church can make an impact in this city, and in this world. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we love you. We thank you this morning for your goodness to us. Lord, um, we need you. We need you here and now as much as we ever have. Lord, fill us, we pray, with your Spirit your goodness. We pray that those who don't know you yet, that today would be the day of their salvation. And as we celebrate salvation today through baptism, Lord, we just give you all the glory and all the honor. As we take the bread and the cup, we remember you and we give you thanks for the cost. The cost of our salvation, Lord. Jesus, you went to the cross for us and we thank you this morning. We praise you. In your name, Jesus.